doesn't fail to tell you, what he fails to tell you is, he might make fun of me, but at least I know how to book a place to stay correctly. And you can ask him all about that, dragging me across the country and making me not know where I was going to sleep. It was all his fault. <laughs> Told you I was going to get you back for it eventually. But I am glad to be here this morning. I do want to uh, thank the church for what you guys did for myself and Brother Brandon and helping us with going to the Shepherds Conference earlier this year. I don't think I've been here uh, since before then. I, I'm convinced that uh, they spent three or four days with me in California and didn't want to see me no more. Uh, but I'm back now. Man, y'all are, y'all are awful quiet. You can smile. It's all right to smile in church. I'm glad to be here this morning, and I appreciate uh, all that the church does for us uh, prayerfully but also financially. I know that the uh, church here supports our ministry and the evangelism that uh, we are a part of. We've been very busy uh, since the last time that we were here. Uh, we took the youth from the church to camp uh, in Athens, Tennessee. We also uh, made a trip to the Ark and the Creation Museum. Uh, right there, back to back, we went to the Ark uh, Creation Museum the first week of July. Got back home for about a week and then took them back to Tennessee for a camp. I don't know what we were thinking and trying to uh, cram all of that into together, but we did it. And uh, we were able to do a lot of that because of churches like this, because of you, and as far as allowing us to be able to take the time off of work and different things like that. Uh, we've been very busy. We've got uh, a lot coming up. Uh, we've got a fall festival uh, coming up there at the church, I think, on the 11th of November. Uh, Leah can correct me later if I'm wrong about that date, but I think that's the date. Uh, so we've got some things coming up as far as meetings and different things like that. Um, so if y'all would be praying uh, for those things. And then uh, I feel like I need to apologize. I didn't know that Brother Bruce wasn't going to be here when I showed up this morning. So I'm sorry that this is the replacement that you got while he's on vacation. I didn't know. He didn't tell me. And so I'm very sorry. You'd have been better off to have, uh, well, about anybody else really uh, than what you got this morning. But here's what we are. Here's what you got. I'd invite you this morning, turn with me to Psalm 34. Uh, I know that uh, Brother Tom already read it uh, before uh, pastoral prayer, but I want to read those same verses again this morning, and I want to look at them, and I want to try to be a help to you and encouragement to you uh, if I can. Uh, let's all stand together as we read. Uh, I used to often wonder why people would stand when they read the scripture and I read across it I think it's Nehemiah or Ezra I think it's Nehemiah when the law was given they would all stand until it was read and I read across it and it said that they read all of the law now I don't know about you but I take the Bible to be literal and when it said all the law I thought it meant all the law and then I went and realized that all the law really wasn't just ten commandments it was 632 or 600 and it was over 600 different commands and uh, as far as the entirety of the law and so they stood there for a real long time so I just said all that to say these eight verses I'm about to read to you ain't so bad after all <laughs> so Psalm 34 verse number 1 scripture says I will bless the Lord at all excuse me let's read the inscription uh, first and then we'll read it says a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Let's pray and then you can be seated. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day, your goodness, grace, and mercy. Lord, thank you for the word of God and the truth contained in it. And Lord, as we look at these verses this morning and the truth of your word, God, I pray you would forgive me where I fail you, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Uh, Lord, help me to be a mouthpiece uh, this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd speak through me. Uh, Lord, I pray for Brother Bruce and his wife as they're away. Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, give them safe travels, a time of uh, refreshing. Lord, we pray, uh, Lord, for the services this morning. God, I pray that you'd meet with us, you'd help us from the Word of God. 
Lord, I beg you that you would speak to every one of us this morning, Lord, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to deal with these verses and deal with the thoughts that we've read, uh, the verse we read, and deal with this thought. Uh, David's cry from the cave. David's cry from the cave. Now, the book of Psalms really is very uh, interesting. If you're familiar with it, you know that uh, within the book of Psalms, there are uh, books within the book. Uh, the book of Psalms is uh, comprised of 150 psalms, and as you uh, read through it, uh, you find that there are five uh, books within this book. And uh, it's broken down something like this. Uh, psalm number one through Psalm 41 is this, God with us. Psalm 42 to Psalm 72 is God before us. Psalm 73 to Psalm 89 is God around us. Psalm 90 to Psalm 106 is God above us. Psalm 107 to Psalm 150 is God among us. This psalm, what we've read here in Psalm number 34, it really is a worship psalm. We understand that the book of Psalms, where the, the word psalm literally means song. And so this is a song that, as the inscription tells us, was written by David. This was a song that more than likely would have been sung during uh, temple worship or even as the Jews would have made uh, journeys from wherever they were unto Jerusalem. Uh, they would have sang many of these psalms. This inscription uh, that we read, the, the, the uh, statement that's right before uh, verse number one, it really uh, it gives us the context of this psalm. Now, not all of the psalms do it. Uh, some of them, like for example, Psalm uh, 35 says, a psalm of David. Uh, it doesn't really uh, give us the context of what was going on as this psalm was written. Well, this psalm says this, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Now, if you're familiar with the life of David, uh, then you'll remember the episode that this is talking about. Uh, you remember uh, back in 1 Samuel 16 that the Lord has rejected Saul as being king over Israel, and then he sends Samuel to anoint a new king in the house of Jesse. I waited a second for Pablo. I'm trying, Pablo, I promise, I'm trying. I told him I would. I told him I drank coffee before I got up here to you know, be a real blessing to him. But anyway, God sends Samuel uh, to uh, the house of Jesse. And the sons of Jesse pass before David, or before Samuel, excuse me. And the Lord says, There's, uh, the king, it isn't none of these. It isn't Abimelech. It, it isn't, or it isn't uh, any of the sons of Jesse. Uh, and we know those verses well that the Lord says uh, that he doesn't look on the outward appearance, but on the heart. And then uh, Samuel looks at uh, Jesse and says, Are these all of your sons? And, and uh, Jesse he says, well, there's one. He's tending the sheep. He's, uh, the scriptures describe him in 1 Samuel 16 as being ruddy, beautiful as all, with all a goodly uh, countenance. He was completely different than the rest. He's the youngest. He's the smallest uh, in the eyes of men. He's the most insignificant. And when David gets there, God says, that's who I want to be king over Israel. That's 1 Samuel 16. Uh, somewhere about five or six chapters later, if you're familiar with the life of David, I know this is really fast, uh, but uh, he becomes a soldier. He kills Goliath uh, after this, uh, and they sing the song, David is slain, or Saul is slain as thousands, and David is tens of thousands, and they sing that song, and he becomes a soldier uh, in, uh, in Saul's army. And then uh, he is supposed to be king over Israel. God's anointed him in 1 Samuel 16 to be king over Israel. When it becomes apparent to Saul that David is 
Most definitely the king over Israel that God has, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, uh, that God has uh, rejected Saul's men, king over Israel, <coughs> and has chosen David to be in his place. You know the story well that Saul began to try to kill David. He, uh, at one point, uh, is friends with David and has David come in and play the harp for him to uh, soothe the evil spirit that Saul had. And then as time goes on, he becomes David's enemy, tries to kill him. At one point, he tries to uh, spear him through and hang him uh, with a spear on the wall and all that goes on. Uh, And as it becomes apparent that David uh, is probably going to die, if he hangs around Jerusalem, he goes on the run for his life. You with me so far? This is yes, this is no, all right. As he goes on this journey running for his life, he ends up in a place called Gath. Anybody remember Gath? Goliath of Gath? He ends up back in Gath. Now, David's already got this fame that uh, he's already uh, slain his uh, tens of thousands. People know who he is. And when uh, people catch wind that David's in town, the king of Gath, in a nutshell, says, I've got enough crazy people to deal with. I don't want to deal with this dude either. And when it, when it becomes apparent that David can't stay in Gath, he, as the scripture says, he feigned himself mad, changed his behavior before Abimelech. What does that look like? If you read it in 1 Samuel 21, it says that he feigned himself mad. In other words, he acted like he was absolutely crazy. He let spit, spit run down his face into his beard. He uh, scribbled on the gate on the gates of the city. He acted like a plum crazy man, just like Brother Tom does when he hadn't had his breakfast. it's after that when he departs from Gath he ends up in a place called the cave of Adullam now I don't know about you but if you read 1 Samuel 21 and you're running for your life Saul's trying to kill you they don't want you in Gath you've had to act like you're an absolute nutcase to run for your life and here you end up in, the, in a cave. If you read that account, he ends up in there. Uh, people show up with him that are depraved, depressed, in debt, and all of this, uh, this band of misfits, this bunch of nobodies, this, uh, this motley crew, if you will, uh, show up in this cave with David. I don't know about you, but that's not very good circumstances. That ain't rainbow sunshine, cupcakes, and daffodils in the life of David. The dude is running for his life thinking he's about to die and yet in the middle of all of that, that 45-minute story that I just told you, David pins Psalm 34, verse number 1, to verse number 8. What is David's cry from the cave? It is this. It is a cry of worship. I don't know about you, but when I read Psalm 34, uh, you can't help but see the fact that David is worshiping God. Could I put it to you plainly? Uh, David didn't allow his situations, his circumstances, or his feelings to dictate whether or not he worshiped God. David really had a time with Lord. We sometimes use expressions like that uh, where, we have, where the Lord meets with us. You ever hear somebody talk about that? Or uh, years and, and days gone by, they'll have those prayer meetings where uh, God will sit in. And I know in the day and hour that we live in, uh, you start talking about God moving and God working and God uh, manifesting Himself. They throw the term charismatic out there. Well, I'm not a charismatic. I hope you know that by now. Uh, but I do believe my Bible. And I do believe that God can indeed uh, manifest himself. And can I say we need a manifestation of God? You remember well uh, the days of Isaiah where King Uzziah dies and he says, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne. That the whole earth was full of his glory. That the cherubim cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. If you uh, hadn't forgot, David is the man that danced before the Lord. Worship isn't contained to the four walls of a sanctuary. Worship isn't contained 
just in a special meeting that we've set aside for a week to have uh, a meeting for revival or at a camp or at a, uh, at a men's retreat or a women's retreat or something like that. Worship really and truly can be had anywhere. Can I ask you a question? I'm going to anyway, whether you want me to or not. Have you ever been going down the road and God meet with you? You've been going down the road and the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you when you're listening to uh, the truth of God in song or in the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, you ever been going down the road and God, the Spirit of God inside of you, bear witness that what you're hearing is true? Has that ever happened to you? I don't know about you, but I, I want that to happen more often than it does. I don't know about you, but I'm interested in worshiping God. I wish I could tell you that serving God's always easy, following God's always easy. If you'd have talked to David as he's camped out in the cave of Adullam, I'm sure he'd have said it wasn't supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to be on the throne, king over Israel. God's done anointed me six chapters ago. Uh, we're not supposed to be here. And yet, David is worshiping God anyway. He's worshiping God anyway. Consider this with me as we look at these verses. Number one, David's description of worship. When we use the word worship a lot of the times... Uh, it's often associated with the word praise. We, in some circles, you hear the term praise and worship band or praise and worship team or something like that in some church circles. Uh, and that's usually uh, the way that we uh, define worship. The word worship in the Old Testament, it literally means to adore, to pay honor to, to reverence. It literally carries the idea of to submit to. Some have defined worship as complete devotion to God. Others have defined worship as the attitude of the heart, or others have said that worship is attitude that results in action. There's all kinds of definitions for the word worship. Uh, there is a difference between worship and praise. Worship is inward. Praise is outward. Worship really speaks of submission, an attitude. Praise speaks of an action. If you go and you look through the Old Testament at the words praise and the words worship, uh, you're going to find that in the Hebrew, the words are uh, often uh, illustrated with little uh, pictures, little pictograph type things there. I like picture books. I like being able to look at pictures when I read. I'm a little bit of a slow reader. I know Brother Bob does too. He's smiling. I know he's got picture books at home. <laughs> the picture, let me give you this. Let me illustrate it this way. The picture, I'm talking about the difference between praise and worship. The picture of worship, the little picture that the Hebrew word is illustrated with is the way it's a shovel. Again, the idea of worship means to make yourself low before God illustrated as a little shovel digging a hole. The word praise is different. It's not a shovel, but it is an upward, outward-facing hand that is lifted up. Something like that. You ever been in church where somebody, where the Lord gets to move in and somebody lifts their hands? It's not a sin to do that in church, by the way. We ought to see a little more. We ought to see a little more of that. Outward praise. Let me say this, our outward praise to God that we see uh, when we gather together as a congregation is affected by our inward worship. Our outward public praise is affected by our private worship. David here defines worship really in two ways. He defines it, number one, as Submission, submission. He says in Psalm 34, verse number 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That phrase, will bless, I will bless, it 
speaks, the word, the phrase, will bless, uh, literally means to kneel down. In other words, David is expressing his worship, his devotion to God by uh, by saying this, that, uh, that he is completely giving himself over to the one that has authority over him. Worship carries the idea of submission. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but the Bible calls us slaves of Christ. Peter calls himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ, a bond slave. Paul refers to himself as the servant of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And all of those words literally carry the idea, it's the Greek word doulos, it literally carries the idea of a slave. Can't be a slave without a master this morning. And the reality is you are serving someone. You are either uh, in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory, or you're not this morning. I'm either submitted to His Lordship. I, I still believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, don't you? That He is Lord. And we don't make Him Lord. We don't vote Him in as Lord. He's always been Lord, and He always will be Lord. But in His Lordship, He has every right to tell me what to do and to tell you what to do. Paul made it very clear to us in 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, that we are bought with a price. We are no longer our own. David illustrates his worship to God by submission. By submission. By yielding his desires to the desires of God. By yielding his what he, how he thinks it ought to be to how God thinks it ought to be. He describes worship as submission. He also describes worship in these verses here as singing. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He, the phrase, his praise, it literally uh, carries the idea of a hymn or a song of praise. We're talking about David describing worship, that in the midst of this, uh, being in the cave, in the midst of uh, his uh, running for his life, that David is worshiping God. Uh, this morning the clouds may roll in, the rain may start to fall, but you can still worship God this morning. And David describes his worship as singing. You may run me off after this, but the kind of music we listen to does matter as believers. Say that again. The kind of music that we listen to does matter as believers. Scriptures are plain, and be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We often stop right there. There's not a period. In Ephesians 5.18, there's a comma. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. You say, well, preacher, that's just one place in one passage in the New Testament. All right, fine. Colossians chapter 3. And Paul makes a very similar statement. He tells them, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he says, he goes on later to say that we are to, we are to admonish and teach one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Believers ain't got no business listening to the world's music. Ain't going to do you a bit of good. Listening to a tear in your beer ain't going to do nothing but make you cry. And you might listen to a country song backwards. You might get your dog back, your house back, and your car back, but it ain't going to do you no spiritual good. You might have friends in low places, but I don't want friends in low places. I don't know why I was referencing country songs. That's the only ones I can think of. You ought to put your, it ought to be your desire this morning that you set your mind upon the Lord. I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest with you and you be honest with me? You're probably not going to uh, probably not going to think much of me after this is over, but it'll be okay. I find myself being, being affected by music a lot more than I realize. I don't, do y'all got Cracker Barrel around here? Somewhere, I'm sure, maybe. If you ain't been to a Cracker Barrel, y'all to go. They got really good chicken there. 
people go in there and they play some song you ain't heard in 25 years. And you ain't listened to it in 25 years, but you ain't never forgot them words. But yet it's really hard for you to memorize a memory verse, isn't it? Maybe that's just me. Maybe y'all are spiritual people and I'm not, but I, I find that to be real in my life anyway. We went to a, a, a job hiring thing for a job that I've taken here recently and uh, they were, had some music there and I, they played some song uh, that I hadn't listened to probably in a decade. I know I'm not that old, but it's been a decade. But I remembered every single word of that song and I ain't listened to it in a decade. But I struggle to remember the word of God. David says his word. Are you following me this morning? If I'm off track, we can close, we can go home. Uh, David says that his worship results in singing. I don't know about you, but I need the Lord to be preeminent in my life. He's not always, if I'm honest with you, and if you're honest with me, but I found that if I spend my time in my free time with headphones in or if I'm, whatever I'm doing where there's a gap of sight, if I put uh, music in that honors God, that magnifies God, uh, that uh, points me to the Lord Jesus, I find out uh, that there's a whole lot more worship in my life than if I don't. David goes a step further here. And he says this in verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Hold up, wait a minute. Who is he talking to? He's in the cave of Adullam. He's by himself. He, no, David ain't by himself. That depraved crowd's there, that indebted crowd's there, that despicable crowd's there. It's all alliterated if you go read it in 1 Samuel. Uh, that uh, bunch of nobodies from nowhere. They're in the cave with David. You read the end of 1 Samuel 21, first part of 1 Samuel 22, same, same narrative. David's family shows up at that cave. Jesse and his brethren come to visit him at the cave of Adullam. Who is this us that he's talking to? He's talking to those that are in the cave with him. He's talking to his family. He says, let us magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us Exalt his name together. Let me say this to us this morning. Our worship, my worship doesn't just affect me. It affects my wife. It affects my children. It affects the church that I'm a part of. My worship as an individual person. You say, well, only, uh, my worship only affects me. No, 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 no. It affects everybody around you too. As the leader of my home, my worship affects Leah. My worship affects Ruth this morning. Let me say this to the young people that are here. You ought not be looking for some guy that's smooth talking and knows the right things to say. You ought to look for somebody that worships God. That's, this is right. This is wrong. That's right. Just because he says the right things and oh, just because he's got that jacked up truck and just because he, oh, he's got that sound system that goes. And, oh, yeah, y'all know, know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like that. He, he, he's got them subwoofers in the back and the windows rattle when you're going down the road. Maybe y'all maybe y'all's nothing like that when I, that's how we operate it. I mean, <laughs> that ain't the kind of man you ought to be looking for. You ought to be looking for a man that loves God. It's going to put him first. You ought not be looking for a young lady that does her hair a certain way and has her makeup on just right, that gets all of the attention. Boy, this is going over like a lead balloon. <laughs> you ought to look for a young woman that loves God that you can worship God together with. We ought to train our children in that way. I, 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 I'm learning all of this. I, I'm about tired of people talking to me about when my daughter is going to be dating people. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. Don't bring it up to me. I don't want to think about it. Okay? But it's my responsibility to train her from the time she's, that she's been born until she gets married. It is my job to train her in the, in the ways of God and what's right. 
And we trust God to do a work in her heart one day and that she would follow him all the days of her life. But it's not my desire that she uh, chase after some guy that tells her what she wants to hear, but that she falls in love with somebody that loves God and loves her. We've got to train our children that way. David says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. As a church, you ought to point the people in the church into worship. You ever heard somebody use the expression, somebody would worship God at the drop of a hat? You ever heard somebody say that? Well, may you have. Some people have been guilty a time or two of dropping the hat. You following me? They're so consumed with worshiping God that that's all they talk about. That's all they think about. They're consumed with it. I like football. Don't hold it against me, but I used to be a Green Bay Packers fan. Uh, And you ever watch that on TV and you see all those people, they got those giant blocks of cheese on their head and it's freezing cold in Green Bay and they ain't got a shirt on and they got their chest painted whatever number their favorite ball player is. They're fanatics. That's the word we would use, isn't it? Fanatic. Crazy. I like football, but I don't like them that much. If somebody that's lost in this world can be so consumed with a football team, shouldn't you and I that are saved by God's grace, set free from the bondage of sin, never have to go to hell, got a home in heaven, we have a, a relationship with our creator, uh, we have a friend that's closer than a brother, we've got a God that's been better to us than we deserve. Shouldn't we be so much more consumed with worshiping Jesus? David's description of worship, I've got to hurry, number two, David's a directed worship. When David worshipped, he didn't just worship for the fun of it. He worshipped with a purpose, on purpose. He says in verse number 2, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The word boast, it carries the idea of to shine as a star. Well, who was the star of David's worship? It was the Lord. You read through the psalm, read through this psalm, uh, seven uh, out of the eight verses that we've read seven times, the Lord is mentioned in this psalm. The name Lord, it means self-existent, eternal. Carries the idea of having all authority and all power. Uh, it carries the idea not only of uh, having power, but uh, being able to know our God intimately. David wasn't worshiping himself. David wasn't worshiping his ability. David wasn't worshiping uh, his name among men. And he had all of that. Uh, For crying out loud, he's going to be the king over Israel. Uh, They're singing songs about him. But yet he's worshiping the Lord. Y'all ever listen to uh, music that's got got somebody playing drums in it? or a guitar, and the, 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 the tempo changes of the song. I know it's sinful to listen to music with drums in it. You can rebuke me later after service, how terrible that I am. They design those songs for the specific purpose of getting your attention of the tempo change, of this, if, it's, if you like harmony, four-part harmony and all that kind of stuff, barbershop quartets or whatever they call it, if you like all that stuff, more power to you. Uh, but if they got, uh, in those songs, they've got a specific part where if this dude's got a bass voice, uh, you can tell he's got a bass voice. And if this one over here's got a, a tenor voice, uh, then you can tell he's got a tenor voice. When David wrote his worship song, you could tell who he was worshiping. He emphasized in these verses the Lord. If you and I are going to worship the way that God has designed us to worship, it has to be centered and focused upon the Lord. I was working a few weeks ago. It's only 11.50. Give me 37 more minutes and we'll be good to go. I'm just kidding. I was working a few weeks ago and I was listening to a song and it had, had some drums in it and I had, I had, I had headphones in, I was working, wasn't really 
paying attention to what was going on around me. And there's a certain part of this song when the, when the tempo changed, uh, the drum, the drums that were in the song picked up and got real loud. Well, I, I don't know if y'all do this stuff, but like if there's a guitar, I play the air guitar and stuff like, you know, play the air drums, all that kind of, I, I do that. Maybe y'all don't do that. <laughs> I do that. So I was working and I thought I was in my own little world and the song tempo changed and I found myself literally standing outside by myself doing this because that's exactly what was happening in the song. And I was like, well, thank goodness nobody saw that. And I looked around and my boss was standing there watching me do all this. In that song, I knew that make you laugh. At least I got a laugh out of you this morning. In that song, the tempo changed. You could tell they were putting emphasis on that drum beat at that moment. When you and I worship, it's not time to magnify our sorrows. It's not time to magnify uh, the difficulties that we're going on, going through. If you and I will get our eyes off of what's going on around us and get our eyes back on the Lord, it'll cause us to worship. And there'll be a whole lot of worship that goes on. I'm not saying uh, that everything's going to be perfect and everything's going to be right all the time. But what I'm saying is, if you and I, as Paul tells the church of Colossae, set our affections on things above, and not on things of the earth, uh, we'd be in a whole lot better shape this morning. Men in this life are chasing after gold. Could I remind you that one day we're going to walk on the street of gold? They're chasing after uh, uh, the approval of men. They're chasing after possessions. Uh, they're chasing after land. Can I remind you that one day Peter said that this earth is going to burn, that the, earth, the elements are going to burn with a fervent heat, that this mud ball called the earth is going to be done away with, that our God's going to make a new one, uh, that we're not striving after the things of this world, but that we are strangers and pilgrims passing through, that we are uh, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Oh, doesn't that cause you to worship this morning? It ought to. David's, the star of David's worship was the Lord. But let me give you this. Uh, David, uh, David was satisfied in his worship. In verse number 8 he says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. David says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The phrase, oh, taste and see, it speaks of the idea of tasting and seeing. It literally carries the idea of to perceive and to consider. Words are very similar, taste and see, to perceive or to consider. Consider what? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We understand these words, taste and see. The word see carries the idea of examination. The word taste carries the idea of enjoyment. We're knocking on the middle of October, getting ready for Thanksgiving. At least we are in my world anyway. If Leah had her way, there'd be a Christmas tree and everything else already set up but she can she can see me I think she's looking at me now uh, uh, we're getting ready for Thanksgiving in our world I don't mind turkey and I don't mind what are y'all dressing stuff depending on what part of the world you're from uh, whatever that stuff is it tastes real good with gravy all over it I don't know how we, I like key lime pie at Thanksgiving I know you're supposed to eat pumpkin pie and pecan pie but that's, that's fine whatever I like key lime pie so anyway we're, we understand what it means to taste and enjoy something. You ever go through that Thanksgiving line, you get together with your family, and you're, you ever heard somebody say that your eyeballs are bigger than your stomach? We know what it is to enjoy things. We've been uh, giving Ruth here lately, we've been trying to uh, give her more feel like regular people food instead of just formula all the time. And we figured out that she don't like some stuff. She makes some real funny faces when she eats food. It's kind of fun to watch. Uh, but we've also figured out she really likes some stuff that I think is absolutely nasty. You can see it. We understand what it means to taste and to see. One of the greatest attributes that God reveal, about God that is revealed to us in the Scripture is the goodness of God. The word good here, it literally means pleasant, agreeable, or to be good. Charles Spurgeon said this, God is eternally and unchangeably good. 
He cannot be better and He cannot be worse. He is absolutely perfect. There can be no improvement and there can be no depreciation in Him. Let me say this to us this morning. Our worship, we must worship God because of His goodness. Our situations may not be good. You may be camped out in the cave of Adullam this morning or you very well may be on your way to the cave of Adullam. Preachers that I heard growing up would always say, if you're not in a storm this morning, you can mark it down that you're headed toward one. And there's some truth to that, isn't there? But can I remind you, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what your feelings may be this morning, no matter what's uh, going on internally, can we be honest and say there are internal struggles in the life of a believer, uh, no matter what goes on internally, no matter what goes on around us, that we can, we must, we should, God is worthy of our worship. Not only do we see God's direct, David's directed worship, but let me, let me give this to you lastly, very quickly. David's desire to worship. What's the motivation for all of this? What caused David to want to worship? Look in verse number four. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The word in verse number four, and the Lord heard me. We understand what it means to hear somebody. They talk to you, and you hear them. You're a husband. You've got selective hearing. At least that's what your wife said. Your wife is looking at you like you absolutely did. That was great. I didn't know if it was going to work or not. That was awesome. We understand what it means to hear. When David says, the Lord heard me, it doesn't just mean that God heard him, but it also means that God spoke back to him. Hold on, wait a minute. You're telling me that God speaks to me? Absolutely, he does. He don't speak to you with an audible voice out of the clouds like he did in days of old. No, no, no. You've got something greater than that. You've got the word of God this morning. You say, how in the world is the Bible greater than God speaking out of the clouds? Well, let me tell you like this. Peter said that when he's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1, that they saw the Lord transformed on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. He is talking about that and he says this, we have a more sure word of prophecy, proclamation. He goes on to say that no scripture is a private interpretation but that men of, uh, men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's all in the context of seeing Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. We talked about it this morning during uh, prayer time, the word of God. Have you ever thought about this? You have a Bible. You have a Bible, and if you don't got one, somebody somewhere will get you one. In your language that you can understand, that you can read, that you can know, this is what God has said. That ought to make you want to worship this morning. I, I know if you're familiar with history, I believe it was, what is today, the 15th? Today the 15th or 16th? whatever day this is, uh, back in the 1500s, it was either today or tomorrow, 15th or 16th, I can't remember the top of my head, there's a man by the William, name of William Tyndale that was burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. And his last words were, God open the eyes of the king and give us an English Bible. We know that some years later through divine providence and now... Here we are in 2023 with a Bible in your lap. God answered that man's prayer. You having a Bible ought to cause you to worship. David was motivated to worship because God spoke to him. David was motivated to worship because God had saved him. He says in verse number, he, he speaks of this in verse 4, verse 6, and verse 7. 
of the deliverance of God. He says, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried and He heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Now, we understand that in the context of this psalm, David is talking about being delivered from his situations, his impending, the taking of his life with Saul and all of that. But is there not an application that can be made of the salvation of our souls this morning? that we have been delivered from a greater enemy than those that would take our life, but we have been delivered from the power and the presence and the penalty of sin, of wrath and of judgment that we deserve. We have been saved. We have been set free from the bondage of sin. We don't have to go to hell. Our sins are forgiven. We have a right standing before God. We are declared righteous in the eyes of God because Jesus Christ died for us. That ought to worship, ought to motivate us to worship this morning. If you had never been uh, born again, the scriptures command you to repent and believe the gospel. If you're going to worship, that's where you got to start. Is you got to be saved. You got to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. He commands you to turn from your sin and to believe that Jesus came into this world, uh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for you, was buried and resurrected. You got to get that part first. And then you enter into a life of worship. And let me say this if you've ever seen yourself a sinner, and you've ever seen Jesus by faith dying for your sin on the cross that day, then you're still worshiping God over it. You hadn't got over it. You hadn't been able to do away with it. You hadn't matured past it. It's still the greatest news that's ever been said that Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to save sinners like you and like me. Oh, David was motivated to worship because he, God spoke to him because he'd been saved. Oh, but David was motivated to worship because he was secure. Verse number 7, he says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. The phrase, the angel of the Lord, it speaks really of the presence of God an Old Testament way of describing the presence of God. Uh, David says that the angel of the Lord encamped. The word encamped, it literally means to, to incline or decline. It means to uh, pitch a tent. It means to abide with. We understand that the Old Testament saints didn't have the indwelling Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came upon them and departed. You remember when uh, Samuel anoints David to be king over Israel at the end of that chapter, it says that the Spirit of God uh, did not depart from David's house from that day. He was anointed with oil, which is a picture of the Spirit of God in that text, and the Spirit of God did not depart from him. But we now, as New Testament believers, have the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of us. You ever thought about that? God lives on the inside of you. Isn't that right? Isn't that true? Don't we believe that? The Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. He took up His dwelling within us. He's given us a new nature and a new heart and a new desire. We are a new creature, creation in Christ Jesus. Oh, you see the Spirit of God at work in David's life. It convicted him of his sin converted him to the Savior, it called him to serve, and it comforted him in storms. And beloved God, the God of David is the same God that you and I have this morning. What's the result of all this worship? Devotion to God, seeking after God, pleasing God, living for God, uh, uh, God manifesting himself, all that stuff that we try to talk about. What is the result of all of it? He says this, Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. That word blessed, it means happiness. Literally carries the idea of how happy with an exclamation point. The word blessed, it carries the idea of binding a cord 
together. In these verses here, David has bound together joy and worship. He's not saying worship God because you got money in the bank. If you got money in the bank, you ought to worship God. If you want to get rid of your money, send it to P.O. Box 127, uh, Smithville, Oklahoma, 74957. And you can put it in the memo, whatever you want to. Just make sure my name is in the pay-to-order line. He doesn't say worship God because you got lots of money. He doesn't say worship God because you've got the dream job you've always wanted and everything in your life is perfect and now you can finally worship God. No, no, no. David here this morning says worship God because he's worthy of it. David's camped out in a cave running for his life thinking he's going to die and yet in the middle of it he's worshiping God. Remember in the New Testament, Jesus is talking about worship and he's talking to that woman at the woman at the well and he they're going back and forth. He's talking about asking her for a drink of water and she says, uh, how are you going to, uh, who are you a Jew that would ask me a Samaritan for water and how are you going to get water? You ain't got nothing to get water with. And he says, well, I've got water and if you drink the water that I've got, you'd never thirst again. He's like, well, I want, and I'm paraphrasing all this, of course. I want some of that water. And of course, we know that the water he's talking about is living water, everlasting life. In the middle of that conversation, though, she switches the subject. He gets real personal with her problems, her sins, and she says, well, we know that uh, the Messiah cometh, that Jerusalem is where we worship at. And Jesus says, you don't even know what you worship or who you worship. Worship is of the Jews, uh, uh, that God is spirit. God seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Word spirit there is the word pneuma. Word pneuma is used to describe the spirit of God, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, but it's also literally used to describe life. Give something life, spirit. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to worship God, you're going to do it in spirit and in truth, with life, with body, with vigor, with excitement. But you're not going to worship God because of a feeling. You're not going to worship God because a piano player played the right note and there was a tingly feeling that went down your spine and Elvis and all of his friends sang, how great thou art, and you cried because you got it on the greatest hits in your CD player. People do that stuff. I know that sounds crazy. People do that. You're going to worship God over the truth of God. Jesus ties together spirit and truth. Let me give you this. He talks to the Pharisees, and I'm done. I promise. He talks to the Pharisees, and he's dealing with worship, how they wouldn't worship God. And he makes this statement to them that if it be necessary, that he would cause the rocks to cry out. I don't know about you, but I don't want no rock taking my place in worshiping God. We sang a little bit this morning about heaven. Heaven's going to be a time of worship. What do you think heaven's going to be? You're not going to camp out in your lazy boy in your mansion for all eternity and have a good time. It ain't going to happen. The, the Lamb of God is at the center of all of heaven and all of eternity is going to be worship to God. I don't want to wait till heaven. I don't want to wait till I get there to worship. I want to start down here. And I hope you do too. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I pray you'd use it in our hearts and lives. Lord, help us all, Father, to be worshipers. God, I pray you'd use uh, the words this morning to accomplish your purpose. Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name.